Hello, everyone. I'm Isaiah Sullivan, and I'm very excited to be sharing my podcast, St. Small Talk, with all you listeners. My guest today was one of the first African-American police officers in St. Paul, the founder of Save Our Sons, a St. Paul organization dedicated to helping at-risk youth, and the author of the book Diesel Heart. He also happens to be the husband to Ramsey County Commissioner Tony Carter and the father of our St. Paul Mayor Melvin Carter III. Please welcome Melvin Carter Jr. on this episode of St. Small Talk. And joining, as always, is producer here at Minnesota Podcasting, Marshall Saunders. Thank you so much for coming on, Melvin. I really appreciate it. We're going to have a ton of fun talking today. I was- anytime I get an intro like that, you know, my son can't just hijack the whole family. You know? oh, okay. <laughs> because, because I have two daughters. You know, I'm the father of three. Oh, okay. And, and he's got two sisters that, that I refuse to uh, be... Uh, ignore. Sure. I was honored to him, and Melvin's a cool person. Yeah. And one of the things that makes him cool, so cool is he got some cool sisters. They've really? been Are they older or younger? He, uh, both. Okay. One, so he's, so he's, he's, he's a middle, middle child. child. He's a middle child, yeah. All right. Yeah. And so. Uh, what, do, what do his sisters do? Well, his, his oldest sister has, has has a business of her own that's consulting. My youngest daughter, she's a consultant to college professors. She's their organizer for College Professors Union. So make it clear right now that not only are you the father of Melvin Carter, the mayor, but mm. also you're the father of two wonderful and accomplished women. Beautiful. There we go. And beautiful. We're going to have a ton of fun talking today. I was doing a lot of research, looking at your story, reading articles, trying to get into your book. And I wanted to start off with the book is where you open up talking about your experience down in Texas, I believe, mm-hmm. with your great-great-grandmother. Right. My mama's daddy's mama's mama. And, you, <laughs> and I think you said she was so old, no one knew how old. Right. So she didn't, I mean, you're down in Texas. How old were you at the time when you met her? Five. So we were down there, and it was something I knew would be significant, and I always thought we would go back. But um, I remember being uh, paraded with a bunch of other small children in front of uh, some people call it a big mama. Have you heard that term, big, big mama? mama? Yeah, I've heard yeah. that term. Yeah, and so anyway, every year they expected to be her last year because oh, really? she, was getting, she was so old. Being paraded before her, as she sat kind of on a pedestal, like I, I remember so clearly because uh, it was it was so immediate in my presence. It was one of my most significant memories in life. And images and people and um, fragrances and sounds uh, were so unique down there that uh, they're unforgettable, I think. Sure. Yeah. So, so you were born in St. Paul, though? Mm-hmm. And then you... My dad was born in St. Paul. Your dad was born in St. Mm-hmm. Paul. Your mom was born in Texas. In Chilton, Texas. Ch- how did they meet each other? During World War II, Pearl Harbor happened. Yeah. My mother was already out in California. My father went out to California to, because he was a... He had two assignments. One, he, his assignment was to play music in, his, in the daytime and in the evening he was... in the. At night, undercover, his job was to refuel submarines. As he told it, sometimes uh, one, at one particular gig, I guess he was saw what he called a pair of pretty legs out there in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> and next thing you know, uh, they uh, figured out what to do. And they married, they and they came back to St. Paul. And mm-hmm. he, was your father a career musician? Yeah, I mean, he was. He, his first memories in life were with were in carnivals and and um, circuses. And, oh, really? And, um, as, a, as a young boy? Yeah. And and also, um, the, all the Carters were musicians. My grandfather, his father. Yourself taught, included, right? I'm more of a wannabe musician. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was kind of out there, uh, as as the nuns used to say, cutting the fool. Cutting the fool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and I wish, now I regret always trying to avoid music lessons. Oh, yeah. Because I'd probably be a lot better now. But 
But um, all my all my but my brothers are musicians. My father was was a well known jazz musician. His father taught a lot of mu- uh, music around St. Paul, yeah. uh, and in in every every instrument. So so the Carters were pretty well established in St. Paul then for a long time. If your if your father was here and your grandfather was here, yeah, my father was born here. Your father was and born the Carters. Here. The Carters came here at at in nineteen. My, my father's father's family came here in nineteen sixteen, and but there was already a couple uncles here already. Oh, oh really? My father had Uncle Mac and Uncle Foster who was here, and you know the the Minnesota History Theater is making a play out of that and. Uh, well, out of Dieselhart, correct? Yes. yes. The, the the first the first act, right? You already Raw know. Stages. I come on. I, I did I, my research. I, I did my uh, research. I can't no. pull the bull over your eyes. <laughs> no, no, no. But uh, but if, so you grew up in St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you born into Rondo? Was your family already a part of Rondo? Yeah. My well, my father was born at three o five Rondo. Oh, and, on, on and, Rondo. And, one, and one, well, yeah. In, well, in in St. Joseph Hospital. Uh, a while later, I I got born in uh, jo- St. Joseph Hospital. But we lived at uh, seven seventeen Rondo. Okay, and so we were Rondoed up. Yeah. <laughs> How old were you when the uh, the eminent domain came in and, and the government took that land and made it ninety four? People ask that question, but it, you know the whole process probably I would guess took about a quarter century. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Itself, yeah. I mean, I was like uh, six when I first heard about it. This this this. Process and 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 I thought uh, my buddy would. I heard it from a friend of mine named we called him Skeeter, and Skeeter was telling me that this big old highway is going to come through here, and it's going to knock out your house and 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 it's going to take out. And, and what he described yeah. was what it is. But it kind of sounded unreal. It, well, it, it just wasn't possible. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, which you know, and Skeeter could tell a good story, <laughs> and, and and he was very knowledgeable. Sometimes Skeeter was putting you on, sometimes he was very accurate, and so I didn't know how to take it. But um, that was of all the things Skeeter ever told me, that was the most outrageous. Really, and and it couldn't be true. And so by the time we finally moved off of Rondo, I was eight. Yeah. But by the time the freeway was open to be driven on, I was just got back from the military about 1970. Okay. So, it a, I mean, that's a huge process mm-hmm. of them building and tearing down. And what was Rondo like? We hear stories about it being, you know, this thriving African-American community, you know, uh, and it was due to redlining, right? It was due to banks not allowing African-American men and women to take out loans and other it was neighborhoods. A form, it was, come to find out in retrospect, huh. it was a form of segregation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, in, in, in a more hidden form. I've heard some people glorify it as a wonderful home and community. I've heard other people talk about it as a form of segregation, which it was still able to you know, separate white people from black people in this northern town, St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, all segregation ain't created equal. Yeah. Uh, and, and matter of fact, you know, this form of segregation had its magnificence, a majestic magnificence in that, I mean, people watched out for each other, the elders watched after the children. There was absolutely zero lethal violence. You know, somebody would uh, get mad and there'd be a fist fight and somebody would cut somebody out every now and then, but sure. nobody ever got killed, ever, you know. And, um, and that had to do because of the community was so tight-knit, knew each well, other so it, it, well. It wasn't just that. I mean, um, it just it wasn't just that. I think across the nation, I mean, this notion of, of people shooting each other and killing each other, just wasn't anywhere like I mean this what we're seeing today is like 
an, an insanity. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's yeah. beyond insanity. Who would have thought of that? Who would have thought of, of what we're seeing today, you yeah. know, in terms of uh, living together, you know, people who live together harmonically. You're saying you didn't see a lot of lethal crime or anything like that? It was unheard of. It was unheard of. It was unheard of. You know, it just it just didn't happen. You know, as a matter of fact, um, I, I, I can't recall. I have no recollection of anybody killing each other back when Rondo days. You know, people would knock on your door and, and need some help. You let them in. I remember doctors come making house calls. Yeah. I, I, I remember people never uh, locking the doors. You know, there's a dear friend of mine named Russell Ballinger, and he always says that in his household before bedtime, his his mother would say, be sure to leave the doors unlocked in case somebody needs to get in. I mean, it was a different culture, and, and there, was, it was a, it was, there was a sacredness of safety you know, that was just presumed, and kids could sleep out at night in the, in, in the yard and uh, oh play gosh. out in front. And where, where, Where'd you go to high school? St. Paul Central. Okay. Is there any other place? Central. <laughs> <laughs> what was your What was your teenage and formative years like? What were you like as a as a teenager? You're going to high school. Were you involved in any sports or anything like that? Well, my first love was uh, football, but I I I, <laughs> I, I, I I guess I wasn't really built for it. I was really good at wrestling, but my but I didn't like wrestling that much. But my but uh, my one of my loves was swimming, except. I had no buoyancy whatsoever. Oh, really? <laughs> we, had a, we had a swim team at St. Peter Clay where I went to elementary school. Well, we had a swim team that was so bad. You're supposed to say how bad was how it. How bad was it? That <laughs> when they fired the firing whistle, the lifeguard had to jump in. <laughs> <laughs> but you grew up, and then how does, how does a man like you join the Navy? What, what year were you when you joined the Navy? Well, I, I just got, I, I had gotten out of, the, I finally got out of high school. You know, which Did was, it take you a while? Oh, extra. Oh, extra. <laughs> yeah, I'm the only person in the history of all academia ever to have to repeat third, second, and third grade back to back. You graduate, you join the Navy right away? No, I, I spent, I knocked around, went, got a job on a uh, assembly line at Whirlpool, and I, it wasn't hard, that was... How old were you at the time? 19, yeah. And uh, I realized, man, uh, assembly line work just is not for me. And plus, I needed to get out of St. Paul. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, been I just, there your entire life. Yeah, well, except for the trip to Texas. Sure. And pretty much, yeah, I went to Wisconsin once. <laughs> <laughs> how, how cultured of you. Yeah, yeah well, what, what I'm saying, though, is that I just described to you how, how small and narrow Rondo was, the, yeah. the community was. That was entirety in my universe, you know. Were you draft? Well, n- not in as much, no. but, but, but you had to have a draft card in those days. Okay. And if you had a draft card and you were like, a one or one A, whatever, whichever it was first. You know, you yeah. know that's the first letter of the alphabet. You know, it's the first number. So you're gone. So so the, the, there was the Vietnam thing going on. I searched my conscience and decided, man, that combat was uh avoidable. I mean, yeah. very worthy of avoiding. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I'm not above combat. Not not you know, I mean I could be combative if, if necessary. But give me I mean, t- tell me why I'm mad at the enemy. Right. Tell me why he's my yeah. enemy. Right. Or tell me or make me mad at him or make me scared of him or something. You know. Yeah. But but don't just put me in the middle of a jungle fighting yeah, people. I don't know. And and, and 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 you know, killing people, you know, and not understanding why. And, and, you know, of course, when you get in that situation, you know, you're kind of a target yourself, you know. Sure. So my, my reasoning was, was in joining the Navy, that, that, you know, because my father was in the Navy. Uh, and that was my way of, 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 of expanding my horizons big sure. time, you know. Where were you deployed to? 
Well, I, I started out in California, hmm. where, and, and where I had my first formal boxing match, and I was surprisingly. Uh, how how did you get started yeah. in boxing? Well, I must back up now and go back yeah. in time. You know, so we moved over to Twenty Six Aurora. Fatso's dad, Mr. Nins, was was he was Dynamite Dave, and he had some boxing gloves in his basement. So so whereas in our community, in our little tiny corner of the of the city, we thought that uh, because we, you turn on the TV and you didn't see any blacks playing basketball no. at all, you know, and so we determined like basketball was like for white kids. Some of us did, you know, had that uh, delusion. Sure. And so we boxed and we played football and we played baseball and we made up our own games. And as it turned out to be, and so Mr. Nins gave me, uh, so so I, I did pretty good. You know, we'd box, yeah. we'd go down, you know, and and, and, and we called them the the, bat, the boxing wars down in Fatso's basement. And you, you, everybody would put on the gloves? Well, not everybody, but, you Sometimes know, it'd be a little. Yeah, we had some real good matches down there. <laughs> I got knocked out down there one night, you know. I signed up for a boxing match out in California and, uh. Uh, really, and got my first trophy, you know, really? which, which was huge for me because— First trophy ever? Yeah. First trophy. Much of the trouble I got into when I was a kid was for fighting because I, I had a temper issue. And it was surprising to me that I finally got a formal recognition by the United States military for fighting when I was always trying to stop sure. fighting. You were mm-hmm. told, put this down, tamper it down, don't do it. And now you're getting recognition for doing the very th- same that's, thing. That's the short of it. Yeah. That's the short of it. So then I went out to Cal. I, went, I, went, I was stationed out in uh, New London, Connecticut for a handful of months. And then the next thing you know, I went out. I was stationed to Morocco for a couple of years. For and, a couple of years? Mm-hmm. How was that? In terms of not being <laughs> combat, it was wonderful. Yeah. But in terms of uh, being in a place where... Nobody particularly likes you, you know. Oh, really? You know, being in a place, you know. What, were, what was the U.S. doing in Morocco at the time? It was a secret. But oh, I, really? But I can tell you now. Okay. Yeah, you I'm guys, ready. Yeah, it's ready. Because yeah. I had to have a, a security clearance to go over there. Were yeah. you a spy, Melvin? I, well, I, tried, <laughs> I tried to act like it, but, but but it depends on what you mean. But um, the, and, and the reason I found the only reason I'm finding out what I'm telling you now is because Ann Reagan, who was the editor, went back in and and because she fact checked everything I said yeah. in the book, and she came up with more information than I ever imagined. Oh, really? Because because I never knew exactly why it was such a secret. But but if you imagine a place way out in the kind of in the desert with and we had this place called Buknadale, and um, it was kind of triangulated. Uh, somewhere near the halfway mark between Rabat and Casablanca. Way back in those days, there was no such thing as satellites. Uh-huh. You know, and so instead of having satellites, satellites over out kind of in the desert area, they had gigantic, huge, tower, towering towers where they relayed. It was just a relay station for, for, for messages, sure. telegraphed and radio, where they would, so they would uh, just, the towers we managed at this base, would uh, receive signals and 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 translate them and push them, you know. Where are you getting the signals from? We didn't know. We, we didn't, didn't know. We didn't know what was there. So, what year did you come back to St. Paul? Nineteen seventy. Nineteen seventy. And at this point, are you married? No, heavens no. no. What year do you get married? In nineteen seventy-five. Okay, so between seventy and seventy-five, uh, are you? When, when do you become a police officer? Seventy-five. Seventy-five. About, about, about two months after I got married. So between seventy and seventy-five, what are you doing? You want to know? Yeah. <laughs> Are you sure you want to know? <laughs> I don't know that kind of face. Maybe I don't, but I think I do. Well, you know, I was I was trying to be a. Uh, uh, I, I'll say this: I'd never have to wonder if I could be a world class trumpet player. Really? You know, how I know. 
How do you know? Because I found out the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a chance to travel on the road with a group that was kind of well-known, particularly from Omaha, Nebraska. The name of the group was called the Show Pushers. The Show Pushers. The Show Pushers, baby, you know. And, and sometimes we'd slap a fabulous in front of it. Oh, yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. Fabulous. <laughs> fabulous Show Pushers. If having a great time is all right, you know. <laughs> we had a ball. <laughs> You're able to make some yeah. fun for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And, we, and there's there's a couple of pictures of, the, at least, yeah, I think there's at least one picture in the book of me and my, my brother, who's, who's now deceased. No. But he was, he was the real trumpet player. I was... Uh, yeah, you know, I I I, I kind of came with the with with, with your package deal. Yeah, it was a package <laughs> deal. Yeah, yeah. I had to, I played the Mickey Mouse parts, you know, and, and he did the acrobats and the high notes and stuff. Like sure. That. When you were growing up, was your dad doing a lot of traveling as well for no musician? But, <clears throat> no, that's a good question. Uh, my father had kind of a, a major league uh, reputation, but a lot of bands would come through here and big time guys and try to take him with him. Yeah. And and try to get my dad to join the band, but but uh, I was too hungry. Oh yeah, he needed to feed uh, his kids, and, he's, yeah. and he, and my father, he had, uh, he was a worker. Yeah, know? when when you see the play, you will see that he actually there's a mention of how he, uh, in between jobs, he he have to go uh, nap in a broom closet. Oh really? Know, just just to, and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. What kind of, what kind of jobs was he doing? Well, well, starting out he worked train depot. He'd be at the train depot and he'd 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 be a he'd do some waitering, he'd be a porter, and sometimes I remember him shining some shoes. And then eventually he got hired as a janitor for the St. Paul school system. And I couldn't have been prouder of him. I was so proud of my dad. Yeah. He's my hero. Uh but but also he uh became a, a boiler engineer and he and he worked his way up and by the time he retired, he was head uh, custodial engineer at St. Paul Humboldt High School. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he had a crew of like Two dozen people working for him. So as a kid, you were always looking up to your dad. Yes, he, yeah. he, was, he was. He was my hero. Hard worker. My my big failure in life was not being like my daddy. Oh really? Mm. What do you mean by that? Well, my mom and dad were so different, you know. Oh really? And and my father was like Mr. Spock. You know, everything was reasonable, practical, logical. Nobody ever seen my dad just go off, you know, and and, really? and, and cuss and go off. Nobody ever seen my father do anything that could be impractical or illogical. My mother, on the other hand, <laughs> had temper. Okay. And and my father was relatively tall by those standards in those days. He's just a little bit of over six six one. My father was stately, you know. He, yeah. And and he 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 spoke only when this kind of when necessary. Sure. Yeah. Sure. He, he was he was deliberate when he spoke. Yeah, and he spoke clear and yeah. firm and logical and um, everything he did was by design. How, yeah. how educated was your father? In terms of formal education, he had a couple of years of college, but never yeah. graduated. But I'll tell you one thing: he had graduated from like McPhail School of Music. You know, that was yeah. his love. You know, mm. yeah. So would he? So he was he was working, doing these jobs, eventually as a custodian. Then on the side, was he playing? Was All he the playing? time. Okay. You know, my mother often said that she she almost wished her competition was another woman instead of music. Oh really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she said she could compete against another woman, but she couldn't compete against music. When I was in high school, he had a band called, are you ready for this? Yeah. <laughs> Mel Carter and the Foot Stompers. And the Foot Stompers, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so when I'd come in the lunchroom at Central and, 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 and the kids, other kids, oh. out, you know, I'd come in the lunchroom and everybody started stomping their feet, you know, <laughs> making fun. <laughs> He was a union musician, so yeah. quite often, you know, the music 
the union would just uh, hire out and, and, and contract, uh, you know, sure. for artists that would come through here that needed a horn section, and, and, he, and they'd have the, print, the printed music, sheet music. Sure. And, and, and he, he's one of those people that could sight read, you know, yeah. very accurately, you know, on site, you know, hmm. well enough to do it at a performance if necessary. He could show up never seen the music before and perform. When do you and how do you decide to become a police officer? I wasn't particularly on the right side of everything growing up. I had issues. I had more issues than Time and Life magazine. <laughs> I had syndromes and complexes like would give uh, Freudian those guys a fit. My, my, my mother would always cry because she thought I had a death wish. And my dad would say, no, honey, the boy just ain't got no sense. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, or, yeah, so that was kind of where I, and so my best friends were in, in, in criminal in criminality, you know. Okay. So many of them uh, went to prison, many of them perished in, in the midst of, uh. or uh, living a criminal life. You yourself did a little bit of time in jail, correct? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I set the world record Oh, really? for, for having been uh, rehabilitated. Oh, really? I spent four hours in jail. <laughs> <laughs> my ass around. was rehabilitated. <laughs> Captivity wasn't my thing. <laughs> in that specific particular incident, I was relatively innocent. Oh, really? So we were going down, uh, we were in Chicago, I hung out with these brothers, man. And you ever see that Cheech and Chong movie where there's a bunch of marijuana in the Up car? Up in smoke, yeah. Yeah. We're riding, we're riding down State Street. In, yeah, State Street in Chicago. Not only do we not have a license plate, the car, okay. the car didn't have no bumper. <laughs> <laughs> and it like, it's like about eight black guys in it uh, and, and, and looking like Cheech and John. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and, I, and I, I never particularly liked marijuana. So it wasn't, it sincerely yeah. was not mine. When, when, when the police had us all jacked up against the car, guns all to my head and everything. Oh, really? You know, oh, it yeah. Was yeah, they were that serious. Yeah, yeah, 1970. I just kind of coming out the military and, 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 you know, I'm like, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I'm like, get that gun out of my face. <laughs> I mean, there I go by the grace of God, you know. Yeah. And and all the guys were in the car, cause 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 they we, we were covered, you know. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, we had bullets pointed at our ankles, kneecaps, belly button. Nape. I mean, I couldn't believe all the guns, that, you know, that was pointed at us at the time. And 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 all the guys that was with me, they were saying. Melvin, please don't do nothing. <laughs> and, and I'm like, get your hands up. You know, I mean, I, you know. So anyway, went and spent, spent four hours in Cook County Jail. Yeah. My buddies came out and bailed me out. And, and, and at that night, we went to a, a nightclub called the High Chaparral yeah. and saw the Dells. Mm. The Dells. Yeah, which was big time. See, you guys yeah. didn't know nothing about that, you know. Huh. But uh, they were huge then. And so. And that was a day for me. <laughs> so that's in the early 70s. Yeah. You do a little bit of traveling as a musician. Mm -hmm. At what point do you, I believe you're told by, is it your friend or your associate, uh, now former Chief Bill Finney, correct? Well, he's just one of them, yeah. Just one of them, yeah. Well, yeah. One, you know, so so the place, St. Paul Police Department looked up and they had like less than 1% of the population of cops on the black cops in the entirety of the St. Paul Police Department. The city had received a lawsuit, a class action lawsuit, that they had to hire some blacks, right? Yeah. Ten blacks, I think, in the next academy. And and so I, I, I say that I had one foot in the criminal camp and another foot in the Black Panther camp. I, I tried I tried hating white people, but but I kept finding so many ex exceptions to the rule, you know. Sure. So there I got I got over that, you know, yeah. and I repent for that, but that's just the truth. 
by that time, I was always attracted to uh, activity. So by, the, by that time, I can't think I had a, um, people were known for, people had known me for intervening when men were beating up on women and when boys were, you know, whatever, like sure. a bunch of kids beating up on other, uh, you know, three-on-one kind of situations. And I had intervened a time or two when I saw some young people uh, attacking some older people. And you didn't like it when the little dog was getting picked on. I didn't. I, I, you know, and and I would like to tell you that I did it because I was so uh, uh, decent. So what's the word? Virtuous. Sure. But I was just getting in the act. You know? <laughs> 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 I was just getting into the drama. You know, sometimes. But I, I think I did have some. Uh, How could some, you not? Yeah. 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 So at some point in time, St. Paul Police Department had to uh, recruit some black people. And, and I don't think they were doing that good. So so some of the some of the African American police officers came out, and 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 f- and found me, and they recruited me heavily. Corky Finney was one of them. Yeah. Frank Foster was another. Jim Griffin. Oh, and Jimmy Mann. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so they'd see me on the street and say, "Carter, go down there and sign up." Man, oh no. You know, I mean, it was it was good conversation. Things happened in such a way that um, they didn't get that many applications, so they had to keep the they had to extend the. Uh, the, the, the application, application period. period, yeah, and, and and about three days before they closed it, it seemed like they had it open for almost a year or something like that. I was volunteering over at Martin Luther King Center working with some youth, and some youth had hit a senior citizen in the head with a brick. Really? And for some reason, I don't know how to apply it, but it kept me up all night. And and I laid in bed and tossed and turned troubled by that. And by the time I got up, I had made the decision. Damn it, I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know, and 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 then as I realized, I can't do this, and I could. And so it seemed to be a more of an interpretation that policing had chosen me more than I had chosen it. Sure. You know? And so uh, in 1975, September 8th was the opening day. Yeah. Of, of, of the police academy, and I, and so the police department had hired forty three people. Out of the forty three, guess who was absolute last? Ta-da! You? <laughs> yeah. And the only reason I scored high enough to be absolute last was because I had veterans preference, and I think ah. I, I think I got some residential pre- preference because you're in St. Paul and you're in the Navy. Mm. Yeah, I got honorable discharge by the grace of God Almighty. <laughs> in how uh, how um. How many black people were a part of that class that you were in? Ten. Ten? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're at ten, and you start in 75 or 76? Well, well, we, we, did, we didn't hit the streets till oh. 76. Yeah, okay. But because but, uh, training was intense. It was very intense, and it lasted forever. Yeah? In, inside. How long is training? It was like 20 weeks. Okay. But there was always the expectation, and it seemed clearly obvious to all of us that they were trying to flunk us out. And guess who was oh, most really? and guess who was most likely to flunk out out of everybody? Melvin Carter the Jr. There yeah. we go. Ta-da. But you didn't. Right. Why didn't you? Well, because the very first day of the police academy, the news media was there, and and and, and the paper was there, and it was a festive kind of activity, yeah. and everybody's going to do something. And and when they made it clear, and then they stand by this no exception. If you don't have an eighty percent average, you're gone. You know, you're, yeah. you're you're ricocheting on out of here. You know, and the very first day of the test, I really thought I had studied hard, and I got a sixty-two on it. Really, and so. I made this commitment just like just like I did in the in when I was in boxing. I'd make this commitment to myself. Today, I ain't getting no ass whooping today. 
I'm shut down. My ass whooping office is shut. It's closed for the day. And so I had this image of myself studying until my ears bleed. You know, I made this commitment. Like when I got in the ring, I'm either coming out here with with this with with some kind of dignity, or not coming. Out. I'm, I'm coming out with a, in a body bag. You know, because I had this image of 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 the same kind of news media if I failed because I failed magnificent flamboyantly <laughs> before, and I could see this. Okay, I, I could see no. in my mind. I could in my imagination. I I imagine a big uh, news brief, a big. Uh, uh, announcement: Carter mm. fell. You know, we he, yeah. he let us down again. We should have known it. Carter wasn't, you know. And uh, I had a sense that, that just just letting just flunking out like that wasn't just my business. It was a, a letdown for my community and an embarrassment to my family. And I just wasn't going out like that. You graduate from it. You hit the streets in '76. What's your What's your first beat? What are you working? Well, something that it it was pretty anticlimactic. It was it was something they called line patrol, and and it was just and it was like it was like January, and and it was snow blizzard time. It just straight up and down Seventh Street between mm. between uh, the airport and like downtown, back and forth, and sometimes downtown. And so downtown became uh, part of the beat too. And, yeah. and pretty much we we intervened in in a, in a lot of nightclub stuff and uh, took a lot of people to. Uh, detox sure. and emergency room and to jail. And so you're going through, start off in the 70s. I, I read you you made the rank of sergeant. What year was that? 89. 89. And then you got pulled into SWAT, right? I think I was in my early 30s, late 20s by the time I got into the SWAT team. What was your what was your work like then? I, I just enjoyed some of the drama. I, I enjoyed the, I savored the the process of saving lives. I, yeah. I savored the process of actually coming to people's rescue. And by that time, uh, in my mind, I, I was, I policed in, 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 in a sense of a guardian. Yeah. You know, I, I knew that oftentimes I would be going to a call and I was going to be a blessing to whoever I was coming yeah. in contact with in that sense, you know. And, and so that was so fulfilling to save somebody's life, to find a child, to rescue somebody, get them in the hospital at the, in the nick of time, stuff like that. I got yeah. I got addicted to that, and so. Um, so that's how you saw your role was. Yeah, and and I, and, I, and all those things that that we consider uh, police stuff and SWAT tactics, I wasn't just good at it. I was exceptional. I was I was elite in 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 matters of uh, street stuff. Really? Yeah. Shooting, um, I was guess who was the top shot in the police academy. Was it really? Yes. Melvin Carter Jr. Well, you know, I hate to brag. <laughs> <laughs> you know that, don't you? you say, but what did you see? What was the crime like in St. Paul at that time? The general population was pretty much pretty much in denial of anything that sounded like racism. Sure. Any, any accusation or any, any uh, acknowledgement of that, you know, but um, there's always, for the black community, there's always been a un- knowing, we've always known that, that, yeah. that, that policing is is a subcomponent of of slave catchers. Policing started out yeah. as slave catchers. You know that, don't you? Absolutely. But but it, in St. Paul, it was more of a peace was way more of a peaceful place than it is right now. You know, huh. up to eighty nineteen the middle eighties was when the gangs and drugs and stuff and and all those other things just flooded into St. Paul for various reasons. Came from Chicago, St. Louis, and different pl- various places. And then uh, suddenly we had. Uh, 
shootings, yeah, you know, gang I, violence, I, I, yeah, and, gang, you know, that which was uh, foreign to us here. You know, we're like, what? Our, our big deal was, you know, robberies. We, you know, we had we had sporadic robberies, and domestics was was pretty much the yeah. violent domestics was pretty much the stuff what I what I would uh, call that I got sent to perhaps the most. When you were in the police force, especially at the beginning, you kind of talk about. Well, I think I I believe I read about some racial bias in the police force. I would assume that there had to be a, a fair amount of officers who were unwilling to see this introduction of a ten new black police officers into the force. Am I correct in that assumption? Well, you know, by virtue of the fact that it took a lawsuit to get us hired yeah, okay. out of or something, <laughs> you know, and 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 and, and beyond right. that, you know, I mean, they kind of made it clear that we weren't welcome. Yeah. I mean, for example, we, we, we'd have a traffic class, we'd have first aid class, and each, each instructor would, would have no problem coming in and saying, uh, I don't think use 10 should be here. Really? You know, use 10 are unqualified, and I don't think you guys should be here. One guy stood up in the classroom. Uh, and so racial tension in the police academy in 1975 and, you know, was so intense that they had to call in some outside uh, uh, what you call it, consultants to help us kind of really? figure it out. Yeah, because we were squaring off at the locker, you know, and uh, okay, and and so when they had so it, it was it was that on the surface. It wasn't even, you know, you know, kind of noticing these slight things here and there. It was literally facing off against each other. Sometimes, Sometimes you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, a time or two. Yeah, I mean, but but there's always an undercurrent. So they they call in these consultants, and and everybody had to stand up and say something about about the situation. One guy stood up and said, I don't got nothing against used tins, except used tins got 10 jobs, 10 white guys should have had. <laughs> and he sat down, and, uh-huh. and he thought that was so reasonable. He wasn't trying to be offensive. He was not, he, he thought that was reasonable. And what's ironic is that not too long after that, he had a heart attack in, in the building. Oh, really? And it was one of, uh, one of us 10 that saved him. <laughs> That's poetic. Yeah, it is, it is. So, so I'm off the job. I mean, I'm out of academy about a handful of months. I'm trying to be the new guy, trying to trying to make build some relationships. I I go up to this one guy at uh, downtown, and I got a cup of coffee in my hand, and um, he's a police officer in uniform, and I said, "Hi, my name's Melvin Carter," and he stopped and looked at me like very not necessarily friendly. Uh. He took some chewing gum out of his mouth and dropped it in my coffee, and enunciated the N word with great fervor. Hmm. Really? And yeah, and. And one of the things that always triggered my worst was being called that. I'm sure. And 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 there was a time in my life, and I'm, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I prided myself for not allowing white male to get to the second syllable before something bad happened to him. You know, I'm sure. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. He's going to hit the floor before he hits that second syllable. Or he's going to have to whip my ass. But nonetheless, I was pretty good at, at matters of fisticuffs. You know, I was elite. <laughs> and so I had to conjure up every element of self-control I, I could, you know. Yeah. And, and do um, you walk away from that and just— I turned and walked away, and then he shoved me. And I can't tell you, the only thing I could do it was promise myself— Okay, Melvin, you're gonna get off. You're gonna get off probation, and I promise you, Melvin. Melvin, you're going. To, you're going to get him, Melvin. Melvin, <laughs> Melvin he's yours. He's yours. <laughs> Did you? Well, you know what? You know, 
<laughs> you, you know, karma, karma is is its own thing. You sure. Know? And I mean, he, I'm not the only person who did stuff like that too. Yeah. But but somewhere along the line, because I was I was laying for him like like that crocodile after crack after Captain Hook. <laughs> yeah. You know, tick tick tick. <laughs> I was tick. just waiting. You know, oh, see the. <laughs> and so so anyway though, you know, because because you know God got a better plan than my little old stuff. You know. Yeah. And guess what happened? One night he went to a call. And uh, he stayed at the car a little too long. And the woman's husband came home. Hmm. And he was up in the attic with no clothes on <laughs> and left his clothes downstairs. Uh, the supervisor came and, uh, and he got fired. <laughs> and, and I felt so cheated. Yeah, oh, right. no. I never seen him since, and it's, and it's for the better. Yeah, but he had done rotten stuff all along. You know, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't just my secret that he was a rotten human being. Are there are there any other specific you know run-ins calls that left a real impact on you when you were an officer? When I was on SWAT team, you know, when they call a SWAT call out, uh, you know, you rendezvous, and then you rendezvous, and then they got the war room, and then you got the 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 the, the intel, and yeah. so and so some guy. In um, whenever the year it was, I think it was late seventies, early eighties, was hemmed up in in one of these hotels, motel down here, and he uh, a woman was who was in this area someplace, was eating dinner with her family, and ex boyfriend broke in and took her out at gunpoint, and so we're uh, in 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 the in the war room all doing the SWAT stuff, you know, yeah. putting on our war paint and stuff like that, and then all this stuff was going on. So he's down in this hotel in the motel, and they're, they're watching it. And and uh, and I'm suggesting to the commander, just let me go, uh, dress because I don't look like no cop. Yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, he wouldn't. Uh, I, I, and so let me go, just look like I'm looking without this all this stuff on, and I'll and I'll take him out in the parking lot. You know, I'll ch- I'll take him in the parking lot, whatever that meant. Yeah. But they wouldn't let me do it. So anyway, finally we did all this rendezvous ex stuff and 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 war room stuff, and so we get out there, and while we're on the move. They start moving. He comes out with her at gunpoint, and they get in the car. A high-speed chase ensues. We, we get to about Cretan and Marshall. The car comes to a stop, and bam, a shot goes off. Bam, another shot goes off. He killed her and killed himself. And so I kind of kind of think that I could have, if, if you know, I, I think how I could have perhaps prevented that. And I never complained about it, but that's just a, na- a nagging thing. Yeah. As a police officer, you probably had to use considerable force at time to yeah. subdue well, let me, let, uncooperative. Let, uh, no. Well, let, well, let me say this. Yeah. You know, do humility yeah. and humbleness <laughs> and hu- humiliation. You know, I, I've confronted. You know, they used to say because because I you can see I'm not that big of a man, so I got attacked a lot, hmm. and I've conf- I've been I faced every kind of weapon there is. Name one shy shy of a uh, nuclear missile, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, baseball bats, knives, uh, guns, uh, bottles, broken yeah. bottles, and and multiple assailants at, yeah. at the same time. You know, surprise, unprovoked attacks. You know, they say I held the record for being in in the emergency room. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But let me say this: I told my wife that if I get killed in line of duty, don't let nobody say I gave my. And I told my brothers and my close friends, promise me that when I die, because I thought it would, promise me you will not think in terms of revenge. And, my, and I was afraid of getting killed in the line of duty. 
but more than that, and I was I was horrified of, of having to take another life, you know. Oh yeah. But I did owe my family coming home. Yeah. You know, you know. So if somebody put me in a situation where it's me or them, uh, nap time, buddy. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, time for you had three children and a wife at home. Yeah, and and mom and dad. You know, yeah. and even before I had um, the children, you know, I realized that I need to come home. So outside of uh, getting killed in line of duty. I was as afraid of not taking my assailant with me. How's that sound? That, yeah. sound? that sound bad? Yeah. Well, if it's going to be me, it's going to be both of us. Yeah, and, and but not only that, but um, every time, and I say this cautiously, I should probably, uh, uh, you should probably read me my rights before I say <laughs> this, but, but um, a retrospect hindsight, you know, I never went to the emergency room by myself. Hmm. Never. And, uh, I always got the least amount of stitches, got the least <laughs> bandages, and I always got out the hospital first. And I never shot nobody. I never shot at nobody. You know why I didn't shoot at nobody? Outside, I got like three car tires under my belt, some getaway cars. Oh, yeah? Because I always hit what I was shooting at. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, but yeah. I hate to break. That's obviously before your time as a detective. Mm-hmm. When did you become a detective? About about nineteen eighty nine. Nineteen eighty nine or ninety somewhere around. What does your work involve when you become a detective? Robbery was my first uh, detective assignment, and and the thing I loved about that was the fact that um, one well one of the things I hated about patrol was sometimes you had to stop and detain the wrong person, and they yeah. come to find out, man, dude's on his way to church with loaded kids and on the way to grandma's house with yeah. some goodies. You might have had to do it because of the circumstances, but then you wreck somebody's day. You ruined something. And, yeah. and, and I'm not trying to do that. And I and I felt so bad times I've done that, you know. But the thing about robbers is that you you pretty much know you got the right guy, yeah. and, you know, because robbers were the most dangerous of all criminals in my view, arguably. Because they they're predators. Robbers are seeking out. Robbers are predators, and and they're typically armed. And some of them were really really vicious. And so, but the good news was that there was always a witness, and there was always some evidence. And you pretty much by the time you got a robber, you know, you pretty much knew you had the right guy, and you didn't have to, you know, you didn't have to play patty cake. You know, you could just come come at him hard and and serious, and and let him decide how we gonna do this. You know. So from there, I got sent to the juvenile division, where it was kind of a a, a, a huge demotion. But it, in, in, you know, some of my worst, most devastating. It, my, let me say it this way: some of my finest hours are spinoffs of my worst, most devastating moments. Really? And, and, and so when I wound up and I kind of crashed in the juvenile division, my purpose in life was revealed to me. And that's how I assume yeah. we got save our sons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm probably about the. the fraction of a percentage of officers that actually lived in the cities where I patrolled yeah. and where I grew up, you know, and, and, and in the belly. And I didn't live in no suburbs. I lived right in the heart of the inner city. And and plus, by going to Central and growing up here at, at a time when uh, when crime was just escalating, as we talked about, the, the early to middle 80s, I become quite a resource for, for mothers and grandmothers and aunts who, and who, who knew that their sons had crossed some kind of line or at the threshold of no return. And um, and so my home became kind of a mini station. My wife was waking me up in the middle of the night because somebody's kid was acting up. Mothers would bring their sons to me who for for me to arrest, uh, you know, because really? because they knew or, or they was calling me up 
to have uh-huh. me come over and, and arrest their kid because they knew that their kid was, you know. And, and I would stalk these gangsters, you know, at, because at the mother's um, request, you know, and, and I'd go out and get them. Another thing I, I could do was mothers knew that because cause women know stuff, man. We, I, you know, I get in trouble for saying that. but I, Well, but, I got three older sisters. They knew everything I was up to. Yeah. <laughs> so so off, another thing that happened, would happen on, on, on a number of occasions, the mother would know when there were going to be a shootout. You know when mm-hmm. when the driveway and so and I and I was related by some definition to both camps. You know, yeah. So I'd go in these guys uh, down in one basement where the kids were scheming and conniving, and I said, if if I can get them to stop, will you guys stop? And 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 I'd go back and forth with that, and then mm. I could take advantage because I knew how to read their minds because they they really didn't want to do things that they were locked into oftentimes. So I could I could offer a soft pitch, you know, like please don't do this because you hurt your mother and 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 and, and oh, think yeah. bad things happen to you. But then I had another side too, and you show up with with a gun, your ass is mine, you know, because right. yeah. I got this I do got this badge and this gun, you yeah. know, and 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 so between the two, you know. Um, Oftentimes we were able to, and and I've been able to prevent a lot of crime, a lot of shootings. Yeah, not only that, but I also I, 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 I've also the one thing I'd, I would wind up doing was getting a peace treaty between, signed between both mm. sides. You know? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you started save our sons. I get kids out of trouble and get letters back, Mr. Carter. Thank Sergeant Carter. Thank you for getting yeah. me out of trouble. And I promise you, I'll never get back in trouble again. Yeah. And and so I would do stuff like that. And I was I was really impressed with how impactful one man could be. In the lives of, of in the life of one person, you know. So I called together a bunch of men from the church I was going to at the time, which was Pilgrim Baptist Church. I got ahead of the the, the lead deacon, Big Willie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Big <laughs> Willie had one of the big uh, uh, of James Earl Jones voices. Yeah. And, and he had he had a grin that 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 took up the whole room. You know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and he was a big he was a big black guy, and he could and he was knowledgeable and he was generous. Uh, we called together and we a collection of men and we kind of because uh, come to find out we needed to talk to figure out what the what yeah. the what. You know what? And so we, we we formed this thing called Save Our Sons Academy where we would get kids out of the communities and, and, and get them out of uh, a boys hometown, which was a, a, a juvenile uh, a holding facility for, for offenders. Sure. And, and, and we would edutain them. Yeah, my, my wife coined that term like 30, 40 years ago. It's kind of, I think you can find it in the dictionary now. Yeah. But uh, we, we, we would sing from it. I would try to, Big, Big Willie could sing, you know, he had yeah. And, and but we, we would help them to understand their own preciousness, you know, I mean, and, and help them to understand who they were and help them to understand that you're greater than this little old gang thing and you're more important than that and, and, and help them to see themselves in the future. David Martin, who's, who's, who's kind of my, one of my poster children, He's not a child anymore. He's like no. in his forties. I got him out of uh, JDC Juvenile Detention Center, and he and I, he was kind of more. At one point in time, I was unable to keep him out of prison, so he no. went. So he goes to prison, spends almost five years, and and the short of the story is that I was in uh, Washington D.C. for President Obama's first inauguration. Oh yeah. And I got a long distance. I was visiting some relatives, and I got a long distance phone call from. Uh, he was having a special hearing, and the hearing was whether or not David Martin could practice law without restriction. He had gone to uh, William Mitchell, and he'd mm. gone through all these colleges. He'd even gone out to uh, New York yeah. because he couldn't practice law because he had a, um, a, felony. a, a felony conviction and did, actually did time. And uh, so I get this phone call. Mr. Carter, raise your right hand, repeat after me. 
Promise to swear to Yep. And so I and so come to find out You testified on his behalf. I sure yeah. did. David Martin is now in New York. Uh-huh. Big time lawyer. You know, and he's a, he's a kind of a member of my household, you know. Yeah. He's he's a you know, his family is a dear friend of mine and, and he doesn't mind me using his story. But the, but I, but I've got other stories as well. Uh, you know, and, and other examples of what community can do when we come together on behalf of our youth. You know, in the way that they came together for me. How do we foster an environment where more men can be like you and then can foster that environment where we can take young people out of crime? Policing, for example, is not meant to be this big universal global profession. It's meant to be an intimate, personal, dainty somewhat Absolutely interaction. Agree. You know, according to... Um, the original design that we went to in 1836 with the with the Sir Robert Peel, nine principles of policing. Please look them up. You know they're real brief. They're, they're just almost one sentence apiece. One of them is um, the police are the people and and the people are the police, and it talks about policing being a local thing so that we don't have military militia. So it's not a military occupation. Yeah. And so and so that's what it's supposed to be. The most dangerous. Stick of mine, I ever arrested and got charged. His name was, they called him J Bone. He come out here from, from he, was, he was one of them gang, a crip or something from California. He came back and riddled up my house with gunfire one time. Really? One, one of the bullets uh, just lodged about a foot from my son's bunk bed. It missed me by about five feet, four feet in my sleep, you know. And and Tony and my, my wife, Tony, yeah. Walitha, I prefer to call her Walitha, Tony's her nickname. But we 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 put a house up for sale, and then we got to thinking, man, man, how can we forsake our city? You know, why would we want to get? This is the place that nurtured me, that nurtures my children, that nurtured my parents. You know, I love this place. I know the culture, I know the terrain, I know the topography, I know the languages. You know, oftentimes, sometimes when I was on patrol, when when I was chasing a bad guy, uh, I didn't need to shoot at him. I'd say. I'll meet you at your house. <laughs> you know, and I'm telling your mama, you know, and, yeah. and, and it'd be like that, you know. And that's kind of where mentoring can start from. Now, I took the oath of office and, and swore an oath to God Almighty in 1976 as a peace officer, yeah, not as an enforcer. Peace the, the, officer. The, the term law enforcement has, pi- has hijacked the peacekeeping mission. You know, um, if you go downtown, there's a memorial to the same, to the Min- a Minnesota memorial to peace officers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it says, "Blessed is a peacemaker, for he shall be called the son of God." And I, I don't remember the term law enforcement in my earlier years of policing. I would say that I, I spent like 15 years on straight up police patrol. Yeah, and and as as much as uh, the job calls for what it calls for, I'd say. Less than three percent of it is enforcing anything. Yeah. I'd say ninety-seven percent of it is peacekeeping and 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 serving public tranquility. The term enforcer, yeah. you know, in, implies force, oppression, and suppression. Yeah. And these and 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 I think I think the that the law enforcement community uses that to to wedge themselves into kind of self honor. Yeah. Just building on that, and you shared stories when you were in Chicago of yelling at the cops, like, get your hands off me and, and stuff like that. And get, get that gun out of my face. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And then, uh, you know, obviously stories as the police officer. When you watched those videos of George Floyd, yeah. mm-hmm. what, 
what went through your mind? Was it they are just doing this wrong or this could have been avoided or what, what, what was your gut reaction? Well, you know, I can take any one of those situations and put them all together. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, really, the, the, the low, that's a real low bar for taking a life. Sure. You know, I mean, you know, so, so originally we're talking about uh, somebody not cooperatively getting in the car cooperatively. Yeah. He's not fighting. You know, you know, that's once a month. You know, yeah. so if, so if I had killed somebody on on such a low bar right. uh, uh-huh. for such a for such a no, non reason, I'd probably have killed uh, dozens of people by yeah. now. And 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 the execution of Castile, I mean, that's as cruel a thing. That was just cruelty, you know. And 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 in my thought, cops are trained to shoot to stop somebody, and the explanation is is that you know, if it's not worth deadly force, you don't shoot them. Right. That doesn't mean just because you have the right to shoot them means you have the right to execute them. I can see, uh, I've seen situations where possibly one or two shots could have been justified. That, you know, once, once, once the suspect is disabled, why empty your gun on him? Right. You know? yeah. In, in F- Philando's case, how do you stop being a threat if you're not a threat in the first place? Right. You know? and, and, and so anyway, my thinking is, like, like Noor over there, right. you know, I mean— yeah, I don't mind the him. Minneapolis incident. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind him going to prison. Why? Why are so 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 many other things as equally right. un, unnecessary, uh, unpunished? You know, yeah. uh, uh, unresolved, uh, unjustly. You know, I, I and and I think you can take um, people like Newer and um, Chauvin. Chauvin. I I, I try yeah. not to say his name too yeah. much, but yeah. but. You know, clearly these guys had something going on. It should have been diagnosable in the first place. You know, I mean, they had to sue the Minneapolis Police Department for hiring them. Yeah, you know, because 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 <laughs> they, they 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 they're in situations where they should have never been. They, I mean, they had some stuff that should have and could have been captured from from the start. Yeah, those guys never should have been police officers to begin with. That's my that's my take. If we don't get justice on this, we're going to have hell to pay. Yeah, you know? and, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, mean you're, I mean, you're ever camping on somebody's juggler vein, you know, right. and he's saying he wants his mommy, and you got your hand in your pocket. You can't say that she's, you're feeling, you know, I've never seen nobody feel threatened with their hand in their pocket, you right. know, right. a cop. You know, I mean, <laughs> right. uh, I mean, there's just, you know, any way that we don't get a conviction on this is a distortion. As a police officer, what did you make out of these people in the streets training? ACAB, all cops are bastards, and these phrases like abolish the police and, and things of that nature. We had the Minneapolis City Council vote a, a, a supermajority to abolish the police and for because of this, their city charter, they weren't able to. Mm. So as a, as a former police officer, someone who recognizes this atrocity that that officer committed, what, what is that? How do you interpret that? Well, I consider myself a, a recovering police officer, <laughs> you know, and, and that's how I would kind of define myself. Uh, but um, this, I, I think we, people are, are telling us we got a problem, yeah. uh, and we better fix it, and we better fix it fast. And, 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 and the problem is that people are making it a point to not listen, and people are making a point to dig in and bunker in and, and insist on those things that have gotten us into this mess in the first place, you know. And I think so it's the forcing people to have to say things that are more on the extreme side. The problem with being extreme is and, and, and with slogans is, you know, then 
if they, uh, how do you operationalize that? We need to boil down the soup and get down to the bottom of the problem. I think, uh, I think a solution lies in going back and getting those nine principles, and I ask you guys, please review them, and because and, and, they're short read, you, you can do it in 30 seconds. Well, maybe, maybe yeah. in, in a minute or two. But, and, and see, and, and if, if we could be true to those principles, we'd have some good policing. You know, if you're telling me that you, we got a problem and, 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 and we have racialized problems, and, and, and not just that, policing isn't j- is just the problem. Also, it's mass incarceration, which is, yes. which, is, right. which is the byproduct, one of the byproducts of, of policing. We have disproportionate representation of black people in prison. In, Minnesota, in the United States, we have more people in, in prison here in the land of the free yeah. than, than almost well, every place around the world. Yeah, a lot of yeah. other entire populations of countries, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what I'm hearing is a cry for good policing. I'm, when I catch a flight, I love 21st century aviation. <laughs> if I was going to have a surgery, I want 21st century medicine. You know, when I call the police, I want 21st century policing, you know. And I think that's reasonable. Um, I've never heard that before. Mm, I really like that. I said something good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really like that. Uh, you know, that period between 1970 and 1975, you went from being uh, kind of uh, maybe a little adrift, not knowing what direction your life was going. Get that gun on my face. <laughs> right. Where, where 75, you know, from there on, you had a little bit more direction, it sounds like, uh, as far as being in the police force. Uh, a lot more. In that same time, you met your wife and got married. What? Tell me that story. How did you yeah. meet her? Ramsey County Commissioner Tony Carter. Well, in, 70, huh. in, in 1974, my family was just coming off of a triple homicide. Oh. Two, of, two of my, the, two of the, I say three because one of the homicides was a member of my household. He's my brother's best friend. Mm. And, and all in within, uh, the, the double homicide was uh, April 28th. And and then and then Dennis got killed the following June, mm. wow. and so I was in, I, and so so in 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 the book that yeah, I, I call that segment the the Valley of the Shadow, you know I was in a dangerous I was already an endangered species you know mm-hmm. I I I had I had little life expectancy of my own, from my perspective, um, I was in as dangerous places as I ever been, but I got a phone call from Michael across the street and he's in and. Um, he said, grab your trumpet, man. We're going to join this, go join this band. So I grabbed my trumpet, went over to Minneapolis and joined this band. A, a group of kids from Carleton College. So I grabbed my horn. I go over there, and um, they, they're pretty good musicians. I, I, I mean, they're, they're pretty talented. I'm telling the truth, I was kind of out of my league. And then they said, okay, so so it's time for our lead vocalist to, take a, to sing something. And this little girl, and my daughter warned me about say, saying saying that language because she was nineteen. She said, okay. Dad, yeah. Dad, we don't." But but you know, you know, I'm I'm twenty four. Sure. You know, and so uh, uh, to me, she's kind of this little girl, yeah. and it looked like her mama done packed her lunch. Mama done ironed, <laughs> her mama done ironed her clothes and told her not to talk to no strangers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so she reaches over and grabs this and caresses this microphone. And she commenced to singing. I'll say it this way now. I wouldn't have said it this way then, but but her voice ministered to me in ways that just had me par- paralyzed, you know, mesmerized and fixated. Like my mouth, you know, like. 
you know, yeah. I mean, and 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 it couldn't be. You know, it's kind of like, you you know, the story about the the sailors who heard the sirens. Mm. It's yeah. kind of like, ah. And she went to a Earth Wind and Fire song. <laughs> You want my love and you can't deny. <laughs> you know it's true, but you try to hide. Of course, you know. Of course, she can sing better than I could. <laughs> and so, as as time went on, my imagination is talking to me. I said, Melvin, you know, you know, is this, this child singing to you? <laughs> and, and and as time passed, you know, it was my job to pick her up, and take her to rehearsal. Oh yeah. And uh, I'm like, what? You had me take her. You know, and I had I had one of them one of them cars right now everything's a bench. I mean in those days all the cars were a bench seat. Oh yeah. You know, and, right. and, 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 and so now everything's a captain's seat. But yeah. and we didn't have seat belts in those in those days. So it, so you turned a couple sharp corners and all of a sudden she slides over there <laughs> and, and you make it look like she did it on purpose, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I so I pulled that cheap stuff and, and so we became an item. Yeah. You know. Fourth of July, seventy four, I brings her home to mom and dad. Yeah. Ten sixty five Dayton. Fourth of July, barbecues up, baked beans, sure. potato salad, potato salad, yeah. all, all that Fourth of July yeah. stuff, you know. And everybody in my family musicians, and in those days, um, every family gathering gathering was a uh, jam session because folks would come in and bring their instrument. Sure. My, and my brother Matthew just happened to be, and my brother Matthew is, is a phenomenal piano talented piano player. You know, he's on the piano, and I and 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 see when she came in the house. You know, my mother recognized it right away. Mom sees stuff. My dad sat up straight. I could see that they recognized her. Yeah. You know, I mean, they knew that this was this was something at, at sight. You know, and I said, everybody, this is least this is Tony Parker. She's the lead singer in our band. So my brother already at the piano. You know, he <laughs> fires up. So what you gonna sing? You know, he hits his, he hits, he, hits, he hits some arpeggios up and down, and she sang this song, "Birth Wind and Fire." I mean, keep in mind that. I'm, my 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 life is kind of in the sewer. My my uh-huh. emotions are just they're just down because I mean I mean I'm I'm subterranean in in, in where I'm at with my life. And it just so happened that the song she sang at that time was Earth Wind Fire was Keep Your Head to the Sky. Uh, it was the first time I ever heard that song. But I was surprised that my brother knew it on the piano and she sang it so beautifully. And at the end of the song, uh, the very end of the song. Ended in all kinds of harmony, and everybody in the room knew the song, but me. So, so I'm standing in the middle of this room, and all this, it, the room just, exp- just blossoms out to all this harmony with people singing, "Keep your head to the sky," and 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 the very last lyric, and she snapped at me, is, "Don't walk around with your head hung down," <laughs> mm. and spontaneously, as soon as she hit that last note, um, my two sisters, Terry and Paris, grabbed me by my arm. My friend around another room and said, "You marry her. Yeah, she's <laughs> the one. Yeah, you marry really? her. You know, so you know how you're in the moment and you, and, yeah. and you just want to get out the moment and, and and just agree to anything. I got two sisters. I got three yeah. sisters. I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. So they grabbed me and they shook my arms. I, I said, "Oh, they said you marry her." And they sh- and I said, "Okay." And they said, "No, you marry." You know, they shook yeah. my arms. I, I get it. You know, and, yeah. and and so a year later, she was. Marching me down the aisle of love. Yeah. And um, so we got married the following July 12th. 75? 75. Melvin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I had a blast talking to you. I learned more in this than I have in my entire semester at the University of Minnesota (laughs) right now, especially about my hometown. We're going to link the Minnesota 
History Museum, uh, play for Diesel Heart, and where can they find your book? Well, Amazon.com. Amazon's got and, it. And, right. and, read, and read the reviews, see why I'm getting five stars across exactly. the board. <laughs> see why it's the best-selling book in all the world. <laughs> I tend to overstate it, but also at the Minnesota History Theater. Uh, no, uh, Historic Society. Historic Society. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for and coming every on. And rep- every reputable bookstore. Well, thank you, Melvin, for coming on. I learned so much about St. Paul, about St. Small, about our history, about Rondo, about your history and your story. Thanks again, and thanks to all you who listened to this episode of St. Small Talk. If you enjoy listening to St. Small Talk, feel free to visit our Facebook page, St. Small Talk, or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at St. Small Talk. That's S-A-I-N-T-S-M-A-L-L-T-A-L-K. St. Small Talk is brought to you by Minnesota Podcasting Studios, Minnesota's premier podcasting outfit for professional and entertainment podcasts alike. Our logo design is made by Galen Rick at Mighty Fine Design, a Twin Cities-based graphic design company. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for listening.